A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me David Kakish who is the president and CEO of RIA Workspace. He is an author, successful entrepreneur, and an advocate for better, more secure IT. And David, at Excelsior Capital, we work with a lot of RIAs. Before we get into the work that you do, could you provide a definition of what an RIA is first? (laughs) Sure, yeah. It, It stands for Registered Investment Advisors, And that can encompass financial advisors, investment advisors, family offices, private equity firms, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about, even if you're not an RIA and you're running a uh, small business or you're involved in a small business, a lot of these things are very applicable to you because we're going to talk about cybersecurity for your RIA and how it's different than, let's just say, a generic small business. So it's very applicable to your business, regardless of what your specialty is. Right. And that's important because we've seen just, I've been in the business 10, 11 years now, and the explosion within the RIA space is remarkable. And I see the trend line continuing where a lot of groups are spinning out of the wirehouses of the large banks, maybe some family offices who are now taking outside third-party capital are becoming RIAs from a regulatory standpoint. There's been a lot of discussion about how family offices in general need to be under more scrutiny. Now that I'm back on the family office conference circuit and talking to multifamily offices and RIAs, maybe this was the case last year, but it feels like this year in particular, cybersecurity has become a top three talking point for these groups. You've been in the space for a long time. Can you maybe describe why you think we are at an inflection point here and why cybersecurity is now becoming top of mind for a lot of these groups? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, I feel like an evangelist because, you know, the message that I'm preaching is your RIA is not just another smaller or mid-sized business when it comes to cybersecurity and IT compliance. And, you know, if I were to talk to almost anybody, right, any business owner and specifically RIA, what's one thing that maybe keeps you awake at night, right? And it's in the back of your, you know, it's always in the back of your head. It's like cybersecurity, right? That is a big thing that's usually sitting in the back of people's head. And again, why I say that you're different than that business down the street is you might have five employees, 15 employees, 25 employees, you know, AUM doesn't really matter. It's, you know, how many employees do you have? And, And you're fundamentally different than that business down the street with 15 employees. You got a lot in AUM, that business does not. You've got to deal with the SEC, the other business does not. You're probably a lot more targeted than that business down the street. And what I see time and time again is it's not that people don't have security or RIAs and again, you know, financial advisors and private equity firms. Of course, they have security in place, but I label that as consumer class security or small business security when in fact they need enterprise security. And it's really, really hard to impress upon your IT provider that, man, security and IT compliance are exponentially more important for us than that business down the street. Again, it's not that that IT provider is ignoring that fact, but they just don't understand that it's 10 times more important for you than that business down the street. And so we see that quite a bit. And what happens is because you're 15 employees, 525, you're either ignored or you're underserved, or you're working with somebody that does not have what I would call the enterprise skill set to provide enterprise security. And what I'm going to do in a little bit, Brian, I'm going I'm to share with the listener a checklist where people can go and just download a checklist. And it's not gated. You know, They don't need to put an email or anything like that. They can go download that checklist and they can either say, okay, great, we have these things in place. Or they can give it to their IT provider and say, hey, can you check off on these 29 things? So, you know, we call that the 29 cybersecurity checklist for your RIA. When David and I connected and we did the pre-call, I'll be honest, I was a little not hesitant. What you're doing is great, but, you know, cybersecurity for RIAs, IT compliance for RIAs, (laughs) not the most enthralling topic. Mm -hmm. But what's been happening in the space is so interesting. And it is something that we all need to take very seriously. We've seen in the headlines, these huge data breaches. But one of the reasons I chose to have you come on, and I'm excited to talk to you, the content that you all are providing is so good. We'll provide links on the show notes, but you guys do blogs, podcasts, white papers. And we had somebody on who does a similar thing as you all, but only works with family offices. My question to you is, because these groups are leaving some of these large firms and these big banks that have huge budgets that go towards IT and, and cybersecurity, I mean, is there hesitation within the space because the cost seems to keep going up exponentially? Yeah, well, that, that is a great question. And, and I'm glad you asked that. And I hate to be the guy that, you know, is scaring people, right? Because there's plenty of news out there. And, you know, I mean, most recently, and I don't want to give any specific names because I don't want to throw specific companies under the bus. But in August of this year, an RIA was fined $200,000 by the SEC for not having some basic email best practices in place. And, you know, the 200K that they were fined is probably the least of their concerns. Their big problem is loss of reputation, loss of business and, and, and things like that. And so really our message is, look, 
it doesn't need to be that hard, but we can take that enterprise class security and we could extend that to a business with five, 10, 25 employees. And you know, the big dirty secret that not a lot of people want to talk about is a lot of the generic IT providers, I guess maybe I'll put it to you this way. You might think that your IT guy has you covered, but how do you really know, right? Or who's auditing the auditors, right? And you might find out when it's a little bit too late and, and you want to be careful with that. So our big messaging is just how do we simplify that, right? How do we, how do you take that enterprise class security? And how do you extend that to a small or a mid-sized RIA? And again, that's applicable whether you're private equity or a family office or even a small business, right? But our focus is really very much within the uh, financial services sector. And that's the key, right? And we have the same challenge ourselves. You're dealing with investment professionals that are really good at sales. They know the market. They know the business, but they don't understand all these other ancillary small business issues like HR. IT, cybersecurity, that's not their space, right? And so when they spin out, when they start a group, they start growing, you now all of a sudden have, you know, stock market people trying to figure out, well, what should I be doing on the IT cybersecurity world? And that world is evolving very quickly. And oftentimes we just assume that our third party provider knows what they're doing or that there's somebody who has a holistic view on these things, but that's not really the case. So when does it make sense for a group to bring you all in? And what are some of the baseline blocking and tackling that you provide to firms when you first initiate? Yeah. So that's a great question. And maybe I want to take a step back and maybe share a little bit of background to you know how I got into this space and why we actually work with RIAs and then how we tackle that. So, you know, a big philosophical way of life for me is I love working with, you know, what what's labeled as small giants, right? And for me, financial services, RIAs, private equity firms, et cetera, I like to think of them as the small giants within the financial services world. And again, vast majority are, you know, 5, 15, 25 employees. I keep referencing these numbers because that's pretty typical of, you know, what's out there. And, you know, we don't really work with the large enterprises, big businesses, you know, with thousands of employees. Although that is my background, that's where I started. And what I saw was, man, there's a real, in that small to mid-sized space, those clients are really being ignored and underserved. And, and, and they're not really being helped properly by people that know exactly what they're doing. And so we stepped in and we, so our background is really working with what I would call mid-market and large businesses. And so we take that, those same concepts, and then we extend that to that small and that mid-sized RIA. And we work holistically, right? Initially, the vision was just to focus on security. But what we found was these RIAs are not just looking for somebody that provides security. They want a one-stop shop where it's security, it's IT compliance, it's IT support, help desk, managing the servers or the cloud infrastructure and things like that. And so that's a little bit of a background on that. And that's why we got into the space. Now, to answer your question... You know, when you think about the platforms that are out there that most RIAs are going to be using, it's probably one of three, right? Amazon, Google, or Microsoft. And probably, again, to get even more specific, if you're doing email and file folders and, you know, basic things like that, you're probably using Google or Microsoft. And really, there's some baseline level things that you want to have in place and that'll really help. And so the checklist, and again, you can download this checklist at riaworkspace.com forward slash podcast. It's a 29 cybersecurity checklist. 
And again, you can do it on your own or you can give it to your IT provider and they can do that for you. But there's some baseline things that we cover and I can talk about specific things. I don't want to cover the, you know, our listener might fall asleep. So I don't want to cover all 29 items, but I can talk about a couple of those things. Yeah. Maybe start with, yeah. And I encourage people, I've got the checklist in front of me and I think it wouldn't be a good use of time to go through them, but maybe let's flip it and say, what are the right questions that RIA should be asking to their third-party IT providers and their cybersecurity folks in, in terms of being proactive in the space and, and making sure that they are being best in class when it comes to the groups that they're working with. Yeah. So what's really fascinating, and these are the discussions that I have with the RIAs, right? One of the big challenges when they're reaching out to us is they're just getting bad customer service, you know, slow response time, bad customer service. And the analogy I use is it's kind of like you go on an airplane and the trays are dirty. You're like, hang on, does this pilot really know how to fly this? Does this engine really work or not? And so there's that fear of if they can't help me with the everyday type of things, can they even help me with, you know, with these other things? And the other part of it is, are you having what I would just say, IT strategy discussions, and it doesn't necessarily have to be focused on cybersecurity. Obviously, cybersecurity is part of that, but are you able to at least have those IT strategy discussions with your IT provider as opposed to, hey, I've got a problem, help me solve it. Hey, I've got a problem, help me solve it, right? So you want to change the dynamic of that relationship to make sure that you're getting that IT strategy. That's how I would do that. And then you know, like email is a really big one, right? I'm just going to talk a little bit about email because that's, you know, that's a really, really big one. A couple of things that I would highly, highly recommend when it comes to email is, look, that the multi-factor authentication, right? Where you, you get a text on your phone or, you know, you use like an authenticator app or something like that. That's the least expensive way to maximize your email security. Just that's got to be on for everybody, right? Like no questions asked. You want to turn that on for everybody, regardless of the platform that you're working. Another one that you might want to encourage your IT provider is in our industry, it's called data loss protection or DLP. But the whole idea there is if I accidentally send an email that's got a social security number or account number or credit card or any of that type of information, do you have a way to catch that and prevent that from going out? And a lot of times when I talk about this, it's not necessarily intentional, right? And you know, I make that mistake once or twice a year where I'll send a PDF attachment and it's got a credit card number and I forgot that it's in there. And then so our system is designed to catch that, prevent that and say, hey, did you really mean to send that, right? That's another one. And then the other really big one is just security awareness training, right? Like I think every company, regardless of what space you're in, you want to have something like that in place to train your employees. So those are probably some basic things that you know I'd talk about overall and then specifically when it comes to email. So is it raw? I mean, clearly, it seems like the assumption that many people make, including us to some extent, is that the AWSs and the Googles and the Microsofts of the world are taking care of these issues for us. Is that not the case? Are they only providing a baseline protection? You know, you're paying these groups a lot of money yeah. and they're the, mm -hmm. supposed to be the smartest people in the world. Maybe talk through that dynamic. Yeah, that is a great question, Brian. Thanks for asking that. I think to quickly answer that, and then maybe I'll expand on that, is you have to think that they're providing you a base level of security and IT compliance, but there's a lot more that you can do with that. So yes, of course, there's a base level that you're getting from Microsoft or Google or whoever you're working with. And they, of course, want to maximize security. But here's the analogy that I want to use that I find resonates with a lot of people that might resonate with your listener. It's a lot like a plane. 
the plane is solid. The plane is built. It's solid. It can get you from you know Phoenix to Chicago. However, what you might need is a better pilot or an actual pilot who sits in the cockpit and actually knows what all those gadgets are. And the big challenge is, yes, of course, you've got a great plane, but I am always amazed when we start working with clients, how many security features are not enabled. And these are the things that we work with them in the first 90 days to get a lot of these things enabled. So the best analogy is, yes, there's a baseline, but a lot of people are using that plane as if it's a car and they're not taking advantage of the full functionality. And the problem isn't the platform, right? The problem isn't the plane. The big challenge is, do you have a good pilot or do you need a better pilot, right? And that's the analogy that I use that seems to resonate with the listener. And I know it's the case for our firm. I'd be curious to hear your experience and others. It's always an amalgamation of things, right? We use Google for email. We use Dropbox to send files. We have a investor relations portal. That's a white paper, right? That sure. or a white label that we use to give people 24-7 access to all their investments and then we have you know different banks that I don't even know what their systems are honestly. So to some extent, are you you're probably one of the few groups that's taking a holistic audit of what's happening across the spectrum? Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. And that's the challenge of us just looking at let's just say cybersecurity, right? When we work with a when we work with a a firm like yours, we become the one stop shop for everything that's IT related because again, you're not hundreds of people where you can dissect it and you can break it, right? So. We have not published this yet, but I'll make sure I send it to you, Brian. We we did a, a blog and it's gonna go it's gonna go live later this month where we're comparing Google and, and Microsoft. And it actually really addresses a lot of the things that you talked about. So Google and Microsoft are kind of the two big players, right? And we see what you just described is pretty common. Hey, I'm running, you know, maybe Google or Microsoft and I'm using Dropbox and I'm using this other tool and things like that. And what we have done with a lot of our clients, and again, we're vendor agnostic. So if you're really married to a specific you know, partner or something like that, that's fine. But what we've done is we've worked with a lot of our clients where we put them on the Microsoft platform. And within that platform, and a lot of people don't know this, is you can actually do your email. You can do your file folder structure. You can use the Microsoft Office suite. You can use it like Dropbox, right? You can use the web-based version or the locally installed version of those applications but also you can actually use something called SSO, secure single sign-on. So to secure your web-based application. So if you're using something like Redtail or Orion or, or Juncture, you can all tie it in so it's integrated and it's one platform. And on the back end, you have a lot more security. But on the front end, Brian is a lot more productive because now I log into one portal and I'm able to access my email, my files. I can easily share them. I can log into Redtail, eMoney, you know, things of that sort. The other piece, and again, not a lot of people know this, is I am able to make sure that your laptop or your iPhone meets the compliance requirements for your company. And it might be that your iPhone doesn't have a password set up or it doesn't have password complexity. So before it can connect to the email, it's going to say, hang on, you don't have password complexity on your iPhone or your laptop doesn't have encryption or antivirus or any of these things installed. So hang on, these need to be in place before you can connect. So these are kind of the things that this platform actually allows you to do. And there's just a lot of other advanced security features. But man, I think to go back to your question too, I think another really great link I'll share with the listener, if you're using the Microsoft platform, you can go to security.microsoft.com 
without the www. So go to security.microsoft.com and it's going to give you a security score if you have access to that portal as an administrator. And then just send that to your compliance person within your company or send it to your IT provider and say, hey, this is our score. How can we improve that? Right. That's another, again, if you're using the Microsoft platform, that's something that I'll share. So Brian, I could probably talk forever. So I'll pause it a little bit and I'll come back to you. No, I mean, like I said, you're a wealth of information and this isn't a space that many people talk about. That's why I was interested in having you on because all the RIAs that we work with on the investment side, they all have different systems and processes and they they vary broadly. And some groups that are private equity backed have very robust systems, other boutiques, you know, not always. So my question to you is, Obviously, you could go to one extreme in this world and be exceedingly buttoned up, but you also have to be cost conscious, right? And there needs to be a balance there. Yeah. How do you talk through the overhead budget conversation with some of these groups about having enough and, and staying on top of it without destroying your business? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question, Brian. And here's the really big challenge with that is a lot of the security, cybersecurity firms that are out there they're not really geared towards doing a security assessment for your firm with five, 15 people. And you probably experienced that yourself, right? You come in and you know they want to do a security assessment for, I don't know, $15,000. And then they give you a report and you look at that report and you have no idea what that report says, right? What do I do with that, right? And so that's a really, really, really big problem in our space. Because again, you're not a big business from an employee headcount perspective, right? Yes, that is a great report. And you know that's something great that you want to do for a business with 200 employees. That's not the space that we play in, right? So one of the things that we do, and again, I would encourage you to do that internally or do that with your IT provider, is to, you know, again, to have a strategic technology review, right? And what that is, is maybe once or twice a year, whether it's internal or whether it's with your IT provider, to take a holistic view of, hey, just kind of give me a high level summary of what do we have going on in our environment? You know, what does that look like? What would you put in a red light category, in a green light, and an orange light category? And just take a holistic view. And obviously, cybersecurity is part of that, right? So that's something that you know we do with our clients in the first 90 days, and we typically do it twice a year with our clients. We don't want to overwhelm them so it's every month or every quarter, but it's something that I highly encourage you to do that. So my response is, you want to take a holistic look at your environment, and you want to work with somebody that can actually provide that for you. And I'll just call that a strategic technology review, right? Just do that with your IT provider, and it'll fill in some of the gaps. But again, as part of that, go download that checklist and give it to your IT provider, right? I think it'll really help. There's a sense in the world that technology is making things cheaper overall, right? More efficient mm-hmm. through all the various means. Meanwhile, it seems like on the other side of the access, cyber crime and data breaches are going up exponentially. Are you seeing costs stay constant or is trying to stay afoot with everything happening within the cybercrime world, making costs increase? Yeah. Let me put it to you this way. The general, within the space we're in, right? Things change a lot within two years, five years, right? And if you think about you know the industry we're in, there's been a huge shift from on-site servers to the cloud from, you know, I mean, again, if you go back a couple of years ago, people had on-site servers and their email was there. And now, 
things that are hosted in the cloud. So I don't see it as getting cheaper or less expensive, I should say. I just see that it's shifting. And when I say it's shifting, it's shifting from, okay, I was an RIA with 10 employees. And in the past, I had an on-site server and I had an email. And so I had a local IT provider that physically came in and looked at it and did the backup and did all that troubleshooting. Now it's really shifted so that I don't have that server sitting in my office anymore. I'm running on the Microsoft cloud or you know whatever cloud that I'm using, but I need to work with somebody that understands that and maximizes the security for me. So the cost from my perspective isn't going less, it's just changing. And now... You know, the classic example, Brian, you might, you may not remember this, but we used to be able to buy the Microsoft Office suite for a couple of hundred dollars and you owned it for what forever, right? Or three years, five years, and then you would upgrade again. And today, the way you buy that is you pay a monthly subscription. And so are you ahead of it or not? It's just really changed a little bit. And so those are the kind of shifts we're seeing in our space. Yeah. Despite my youthful appearance, I do remember actually <laughs> having to go to the store and buy the Microsoft Office, you know, software, you know, and then do all that on the other end of it. How often is it the case that you are brought in when things go really sideways and to solve a problem versus the number of times you're brought in proactively when groups are conscious of the fact that they need to address this on the front end? Yeah. I mean, most of the time we're not really brought in too far when the problem has gone too far. You know, generally speaking, where we're brought in is again, there's that, you know, they're being ignored or they're underserved and they know that. And the concern is, well, you know, if they can't help me with this printing problem, how can I trust them to help me with, you know, some of this cybersecurity that's really critical for us? And so that is a big thing that we see that's out there. The other thing is I kind of talk about a pain threshold theory, right? Where, you know, you're okay with the pain, you're okay with the pain. And then, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, one day something happens, you say, all right, we've got to make it shift. Generally speaking, the space we're in, yeah, it's, they're not, too far, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, we've been compromised. We want to work with you guys. It's more of, look, we're either getting bad customer service and and we know we need something better, or they just don't understand our space. They're not speaking our language and we need to work with somebody who understands how much IT compliance and cybersecurity is important for us. So yeah, it's very rare that somebody comes to us, you know, once they've been compromised and it's usually well in advance of any of that happening. If you are a prospective client or a current client of an RIA, what are the right questions to ask that group in terms of their IT and cybersecurity? I think the first thing you want to ask is, hey, have you worked with other RIAs? I mean, I think you'd be shocked that, you know, how many IT providers out there have not worked with RIAs and just don't understand some of the nuances of an RIA. And I mean, just a really, really, really simple example is email archiving, right? I mean, we all know it's a requirement in our industry. Again, regardless of the vendor that you choose, it it doesn't really matter. But very few industries outside of, of financial services, and of course there are, have the same requirements that we have. And so these are the type of things that you can ask them is like, hey, have you worked with other RIAs? You know, uh, do you support them? That's probably the top question that I would ask. The other one is your annual review. What does that look like? Can you share that with me? Do we get a monthly executive report? Right. And I know I'm focused on cybersecurity, but you also want to ask about customer service and response times and things like that to everyday requests, because that's another big area that we see a lot of shortcoming. And what about if you are a high net worth individual or family considering working with an RIA and you have concerns about their you know, cybersecurity and IT guidelines and infrastructure? 
what are the right questions to ask there? Yeah, it's a simple question. Can you please share with me your cybersecurity and technology plan, right? And we see that, right? You see that, you know, companies are beginning, individuals are beginning to ask that and say, hey, so let me use an analogy from a different industry so that I can get this point across because this is an important question that you asked, Brian. So a couple of years ago, if you remember, and you may or may not remember, but Home Depot got compromised. And Home Depot got compromised, not because it was Home Depot, you know, their internal infrastructure was great, but somebody came in through one of their contractor partner networks. So it wasn't a direct hack, but it was sort of an indirect hack. It was an HVAC provider, I think, right? Or something like that? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, it was it was yeah. something along those lines, but it wasn't yeah. Home Depot directly, right? right so third party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you start asking these kind of questions and you know, you don't want to be compromised because your supplier doesn't have some of these things that are in place. But yeah, I would just ask, hey, can you share with me your technology plan or your cybersecurity plan? And a lot of people are beginning to ask that. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> what keeps me up at night? So I, I have a whole other side of me. I love entrepreneurship. I love business. I'm involved in you know some other businesses and things like that. What keeps me up at night? I mean, overall, I, I sleep pretty good. I think the regular business challenges is you know some of the things that keep me up. But I don't know. For the most part, I sleep like a baby. I'm not complaining. <laughs> so maybe we'll reorient the question. What are some of the things that really worry you that you're seeing recently in, term, in terms of you know, cybersecurity, yeah. sca- okay. scams, phishing, what have you? Yeah. Okay. That is a great question because now I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. So those are a couple of things. So there's this whole concept that people may or may not be familiar with, but it's called spear phishing. And so what they'll do is they'll go and they'll do a lot of research on your company. Who's your CFO? Who's your chief compliance officer? Who's the founder? You know, and really, really dig in. And then, you know, let's just say your company is abcadvisors.com. They're going to go in and they're going to create a, a very similar email and domain with, you know, ABC Advisors with maybe an extra S or, or something like that. And then really try to get you to do some wire transfers and, and moving money around a very, very sophisticated type of attack. So for that one, you really want to have some internal mechanisms and process in place where, hey, Money doesn't move until we have you know, some additional confirmation. So we see that quite a bit. The other one that we're seeing and is people are able to get your credentials, which is kind of scary, right? They're able to get your credentials and they're able to log in. And so one of the things that we do with our clients, and again, I encourage this for all, you know, everybody that's listening, is we're a US-based company and our clients are you know, nationwide within the US. There's no reason to have access from Canada or Mexico or Poland or, you know, take your pick, right? And so we have that set up so that access is only within the US. And so, you know, not too long ago, somebody got the credentials for somebody and they were in Colombia and, you know, they had the username and password and they got immediately locked out and and the account got locked out. And so that's a really, really big threat now because a lot of the applications we're using are web-based applications, right? And we assume sometimes rightly and sometimes not that vendor right chase or or redtail or juncture or you know whoever has us protected and yes they do they have a baseline level of protection but they can only do so much right there and so those are probably two big ones that i'm seeing recently and within the space that we're in i think the key for you is a lot of these attackers are looking for the weakest link if you've got multi-layer multi-vendor protection that's in place 
they're really going to stay away from you. They want to go after the low-hanging fruit, and you just don't want to be that low-hanging fruit, right? So that's something that we see quite a bit. And then just just a lot of people now that are working from home, working in coffee shops, and just you know work accessing all kinds of networks. You know, that's another big one where you really want to have a security wrap around your company laptop, right? It's we kind of call that next generation firewall or that next generation antivirus because people are working from home on the road in a coffee shop and you really want to have that wrap around. I was listening to an interview on NPR recently about the colonial pipeline hack. And I can't remember who the guest was, but they were talking about how you alluded to this earlier. A lot of these groups are now going down market because they don't want to be going after high profile, critical infrastructure type groups because the pushback was so bad and they have a good business, right? I mean, they're making money. Have you been seeing that as well, targeting some of these small and medium-sized businesses? Yeah. And they're even targeting local municipalities a lot too, right? So, And here's a big problem, Brian, with what I see out there is once somebody gets attacked or compromised, they really don't want to advertise that, right? It's kind of like everybody wants to talk about their wedding, but nobody wants to talk about their divorce, right? And it's the same thing. I mean, it's just crazy because people are embarrassed. You know, There's a loss of reputation. They don't want that to be advertised. And when that happens, it's just, you know, it really, really, really hurts that business. And the statistics, and I don't have it in front of me, but for that business to recover from a a hack like that, I mean, the statistics for that business to succeed or, or recover is pretty low. But to your answer, yeah, we're seeing that, you know, across many, many different verticals and not just in the financial services space. David, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been tremendous. And I will include in the show notes and the links, but the content you all are putting out there in terms of the blogs and the white papers and the podcast, your checklist, I would really encourage people to check it out. Could you maybe reiterate the best way to connect with you and access all the content that you all are creating? Yeah, absolutely. So everything that I mentioned on the podcast, if you want to go ahead and you want to access that, just go to www.riaworkspace.com forward slash podcast. All the 29 checkpoint or the cybersecurity checklist, the 29 point checklist is listed right there. You don't need to put an email or anything like that. And then we have some additional content there that you might find helpful. And then on the website, just click on the resources section. Plenty of content that's, again, specific to RIAs, private equity firms, family offices, and things like that. Again, our content is very much... IT cybersecurity focused, right? Uh, what we have out there. If you take a look at it and if you want to reach out to us and work with us, just click on contact us or, you know, get a quote, but just go look at the content. I think people will find, you know, you'll find that really helpful and you can use it on your own or you can just give it to your IT provider and move things along. You know, I think, you know, the big thing for me is I just want to make sure the listener is not a sitting duck and I, I want the listener to be able to sleep better at night knowing that, hey, you know, if you get a good score, great. That's validation. You can sleep better at night. If you get a bad score, that's okay. At least you can go and you can improve that. You know where to improve that. So, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think it was the UBS Family Office 2021 annual report listed cybersecurity as a top three issue for families and RIAs moving forward. So, definitely encourage people to check it out. And, David, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.